to the Be Like Mike Wellbeing mini-series. Uh, my name is Sam Yushio, and uh, with me today is Andrew Benrick. And uh, what we've put together is a series of well-being through the lens of uh, the ESPN documentary, The Last Dance. Uh, the documentary, as uh, many people has been airing for, I believe, about a month, month and a half now. And what we're going to talk about are episodes one through six. Uh, just some quick research on the documentary. It's the most watched ESPN documentary time. I believe the first episode had over 6.1 million viewers. Just for context, the next closest was um, a Bo Jackson documentary that had about 3.2 or 3.6. Uh, so everybody's watching, and we thought that a good opportunity to talk about uh, the the bull's journey and uh, through the lens of well-being. I'm going to hand it off to Andrew here and have Andrew just give uh, some background on him. I'll mention that Andrew and I uh, are kind of kindred spirits. We've never had the opportunity to meet in person, but I feel like I know Andrew uh, in, a, in a very deep and meaningful way. Uh, we got connected through a mutual contact roughly about a year, year and a half ago. And in fact, touch points uh, on our journey. So Andrew, thanks for being here. And Absolutely. Super stoked. Thanks for having me, Sam. Uh, as you mentioned, um, you know, about Andrew, I guess uh, I'm currently unemployed. <laughs> like, um, uh, unfortunately, uh, tens of millions of other Americans. I was most recently uh, working in a business development role for a staffing solutions company in New York City called 24-7. Um, I've got an eclectic professional background that ranges from uh, field organizing on the Barack Obama 2008 campaign um, to running uh, new business pitches for 72 and Sunny Creative Agency and a lot of other uh, odds and ends in between. But uh, first and foremost, I mean, I love, I love basketball. I was a, I was a walk-on uh, for Dana Altman uh, at Creighton University in 2007, 2008, and um, that was really my first love was the game of basketball. So I grew up in Sioux Falls, South Dakota, watching a lot of Chicago Bulls in the 90s. And um, when, this, when this documentary was, was being released, I got really excited to relive a lot of fond childhood memories. And then when Sam uh, approached me about, you know, connecting um, a lot of the shared passions that we have around the, the six dimensions of well-being, um, and the Ikigai purpose-driven life um, and finding, you know, kind of those, those commonalities with, with this Last Dance documentary, I got really excited. So I'm, I'm super stoked to be here and, and offer just a perspective um, on what it means to be like Mike in an in a age where well-being and, and wellness is, is often overlooked, especially in today's time when, you know, a lot of the focus is channeled on, on our physical well-being amidst this pandemic and also the economic hardship um, that it's, it's, you know, suffering for, for a lot of us as, as well. So with that, um, you know, I'm ready to, to dive right in and, and talk about MJ and the Bulls. Love it. Love it. Um, so this conversation is not scripted. It's going to be a pretty free flow conversation. Uh, we've got three episodes that we will air. So this first episode will focus on seasons one through six. The next episode will focus on season or episodes seven and eight. And then the, the final installment of the conversation between Andrew and I uh, will focus on the last uh, episode, nine and 10. Um, after that, uh, on May 26th, Tuesday, May 26th, the day right after Memorial Day, at 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, 4 p.m. Central, uh, we're going to host a kind of a live open Zoom conversation so for anyone who's passionate about uh, basketball, the last dance, the, um, the Bulls run, uh, and well-being, uh, we've put together a pretty unique offering to just have people join and have a conversation about the intersection between um, those worlds. Uh, you'll get more context as you listen to what Andrew and I are talking about over the next uh, three conversations in this mini-series, uh, but uh, just to... to uh, put a flag out there on Tuesday, May 26th at 2 p.m. Pacific. Uh, there'll be more information in the show notes uh, for that offering. 
so why don't we start off first with just the well dimensions of well-being um, within Ikigai. Uh, the six dimensions of well-being within Ikigai are the following. Uh, social, uh, physical, intellectual, emotional, spiritual, and professional. And so throughout our conversation, we'll kind of reference these different dimensions and how they manifested themselves in, uh, in a different episodes and different uh, points, experiences throughout those episodes. And uh, the, the three that uh, we'll talk about uh, at, at a minimum in this conversation uh, will be the 91 season. So the 1991 season, I'm not sure which episode that was, it's probably a couple episodes. Um, the second thing that we're gonna talk about is just Phil Jackson, the genius of Phil Jackson. Uh, in his coaching style. And then the last, uh, or the third, I shouldn't say the last, the third that we'll talk about is uh, Michael Jordan's transformation from, you know, an incredible player to an incredible leader uh, of, of the team. Um, so let's start with 91 season. Um, Andrew, I'd love just to, to let you riff on that 91 season. So just context wise, Bulls had just lost to the Pistons the year prior, 4-3. Uh, the offseason, uh, you know, there's a transformation that's happening in the offseason. And then uh, in the 91 season, they, they come back and, and sweep the Pistons. So um, I'd love just for you to, 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 to take the baton from there and, and kind of go and let's talk about how the well-being yeah. impacts those points. You know, one of the one of the quotes that I remember when when MJ um, you know, when when they won that that first title, you know, he 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 acknowledged that it was a, it was a seven seven year struggle, you know, to get to that point. Um, you know, and and um, obviously you saw this this guy come into the league. Um, he had more talent than than anyone had ever seen. Um, he won all these personal accolades, you know, for those first six years. And then finally in that 90, 91 season, he, he got over, you know, that, that, that the bad boys and the, and the Detroit Pistons. And it, it just showed that, um, well, one, a couple things, you know, that it, it, this overnight success that a lot of people are accustomed to in, in the microwave society that we live in today, it, it really doesn't happen. And it didn't happen for, for even the greatest athlete to ever walk this planet, in my opinion, and uh, certainly the greatest, you know, team sport athlete um, and, and what he, what he endured to get to that, you know, place um, and, and the off season, especially leading up to that year is his, his weight training, training regimen, um, adding the muscle um, and really becoming a, a complete all around player, which I think, you know, took a few years to adapt to Phil Jackson's style and the triangle offense and things like that. Um, I think that, you know, I, at the time I wasn't, you know, a little young to, to really appreciate like what that, what that took um, and the greatness and the sacrifices, um, you know, physically to, to put his body through that. I think you saw the highlights from that 90 campaign when they literally just, just beat him up in the playoff. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and, and then for him to come back um, and, and to, to, you know, overcome that, um, and to beat the Lakers in the finals and all the things that, that went to that, it just was a consummate professional. Um, and it showed you, you know, really what it takes to be the best. And throughout that process, you know, he was, he was training his teammates to reach the level um, that he expected of himself. Um, and he got out of them. And um, I, I don't know, I just found that, that whole story and, and, and that whole season, which really sort of accelerated the rest of his career and, and his legacy um, is just inspiring, you know, and, and for anyone that wants to be great and wants to be like Mike, you take a look at that, that one season and, and realize, wow, like once you can kind of get that momentum and you get that confidence that he got um, that, that it, it really builds. Um, and I, I saw that and, um, and, and, <laughs> It was just, it was amazing what he, what he went through uh, with his trainer um, to get his, you know, body physically ready. And then the psyche and the mental preparation that went into that to overcome that and to get all of his teammates to surround him was, was awesome. 
Yeah, I mean, did, he put on 20 pounds or something like that, 20, 25 pounds in that offseason. Do that, you know, when – I mean, in any sport is, is, is difficult, but to do that when you're – you're burning that many calories and you're that active. Um, and he did it all with the intention, knowing that he had to, I think one of the other, you know, he wanted to administer pain. I mean, that right. was, yeah, yeah. He, he wanted to be the one that was, was dishing it out. Um, and, and that's, that's what it took. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, that's obviously uh there's a physical dimension there, but the, the, one thing that came to mind while you were talking is the, um, the attitudes and the perspectives of the team. So in, in uh, the 90 series with the Pistons, when they got beat, when the Bulls got beat, I'm pretty sure it was that game, one of those games where they were, every, they were, they get hit hard, they get fouled, they throw their arms up, they complain to the refs. And then you fast forward to, to the next year when they sweep the bull or the Bulls sweep the Pistons and they're just keeping their cool, right? It's just, it's a, it's a complete shift in terms of their emotional dimension, right? Their like emotional intelligence, their ability to, to just keep their cool. Um, and that, that to me was really, that was to me, was as impressive as anything in terms of the transformation. I mean, the physical obviously is one thing, but that emotional stability that they demonstrated was, was impressive. The shift from just Jordan's transformation uh, as a as a leader, um, and Jordan's ability to you know because it sounds like playing with Michael Jordan was no picnic. Um, but I what I didn't get a sense of is was he different uh, leadership in the pre championship or you know before that off season and after that off season. I mean, did he, he probably already, already had an edge, but was that edge just more about being personally the best? And then it turned into the team needs to be the best, or did you pick up any of that vibe? Absolutely. I think that, you know, we, you, you, you saw like when Doug Collins uh, was his coach there in the late 80s, um, you know, he, he, had, he had the accolades of slam dunk champion, you know, NBA all-star game MVP, regular season MVP, defensive player of the year. Um, you know, he was, he was obviously emerging as, as the face of the NBA, but as we all know, you know, especially in, in team sports, if you're not a champion, you're not the greatest. And, you know, it took a couple of key players around him. And I think the development, um, especially of him kind of grooming and pushing Scottie Pippen um, who's arguably, you know, one of the, the greatest basketball players ever to play and, um, and really pushing him to develop um, and to develop that mindset that, um, that, that they can be winners and they can be champions. Um, you saw him go from, all right, I can get out, you know, 63 to 55 points a game, but if it's not going to equate to, you know, holding up that Larry O'Brien trophy, none of this matters. And I think that that is a, it's a, it's a really interesting trait um, in, in, in him that evolved and, and also, you know, showed his maturity. I think, you know, when you come into the league, um, was he 22, 23 years old? You know, he, he, he maybe had a little bit more interest in gaining some of the fame and the success personally. But then as you grow older and you realize that your career isn't going to last forever and you're going to be remembered really only by your championship rings, um, you saw that shift that, that he went from, you know, being the greatest basketball player to really one of the, the greatest teammates too. And, and although that's arguably the way that he did that, didn't always, you know, rub people the right way. Um, but he was just going out there and, and perfecting his craft. And I think that what made him such an interesting leader and, and, the, and the trait that really stuck out to me was that, you know, he never asked any of his teammates to do anything that he wouldn't do of himself. Yeah. And oftentimes that's difficult um, when he's that great and he demanded such greatness from himself. But I think that over time, and especially that, that 91 season, it, it rubbed off on him. And they realized that, like, we got to be like Mike, you know, and, and now you have all of a sudden these guys that are, you know, embedded in, in, in the, you know, forever, um, with, with championship rings because 
they, they adapted that mindset and um, it wasn't easy, but obviously it, that's what it takes and the sacrifices um, that, that, you know, you have to make to be the greatest sometimes, um, you know, it, is elevating those around you to also be as good and to instill that drive. Um, and, and, and that, that's, that's a, that's a really, um, you know, challenging characteristic, um, to, to, to do as a leader. Yeah. I mean, one thing that really surprised me was, um, the, the reaction that the teammates had of watching Jordan's reaction when he was holding the trophy. Yep. Uh, that was, I think that was pretty insightful about mm -hmm. just who he was and, um, how important that, that, that was getting to that, to that point. Uh, I love that part of the, of the story. That was great. And they'd never seen that side of him because yeah. he was so, so tunnel visioned on just getting there and, and hoisting that trophy that all they saw was the anger and, and this tenacity. They never saw the, the human component that he finally expressed in that locker room after he had won and, and again, I mean, that's sometimes, that's just, that's what it takes, you know, and, and that's the price of, of greatness. Um, and once he got it, then you get a taste of that and it builds and it builds and the momentum comes. And obviously he went on to win, you know, another five rings. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I wonder how much of that, you know, that run in particular, that, that three peat run was, tied to the teammates seeing that emotional response that he had when he held the trophy, mm -hmm. you know, and I'm, you know what I mean? They're like, if he was just this maniacal, like we're going to win, 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 win. Maybe, I mean, maybe that still would have happened. Maybe they still would have won, but I think there's, there was just a lot of insight from their reaction to his reaction. That was a catalyst. Was Absolutely. A catalyst. 100%. Uh, all right. So let's talk about, let's talk about, the Zen master, uh, Phil Jackson. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of ways that we can take this. Uh, why don't you take it wherever you want to take it? I've got a couple notes that I'd love to talk about, but why don't, what's your, um, well, so first let's say he's an 11 time NBA champ, six with the Bulls, five with the Lakers. And then a two time player. Two time player. Yeah. Just crazy. Yeah. Uh, grew up in Oklahoma, I think. Is that right? UND. Oh, well, he went to school at UND. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. He was definitely a Midwestern. He's a Midwestern guy. Yeah. With ties to the to the Native American culture, um, which obviously I think influenced his ability, um, and 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 leadership style, um, to to be able to you know, I don't know, connect with 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 all corners of the locker room and and organizations. Um, as, as obviously these, you know, these players, you know, come from, from all different backgrounds. Um, but I think, yeah, I mean, Phil, you know, watching this, I guess I didn't realize how successful of a player he was for the New York Knicks. Um, yeah. And I think that that, um, you know, him as a professional, you know, basketball player, I think established, you know, a, a, a level of respect um, with, with the players that he coached because he could relate to them on a, on a level that maybe a lot of other guys couldn't. Um, but his, his, his intellectual component, um, he obviously looked at basketball, you know, it, it bigger than the game. And yeah. he was able to break it down um, for, for guys, you know, that they had these, you know, eccentric personalities like Dennis Rodman um, and, and, and able to, to make it, you know, larger than life for them. And uh, I don't know if I've ever seen a coach that, that has a, a, a certain style like he does with that in, incorporated a lot of the, the Zen, you know, um, Buddhist sort of uh, rituals and routines and, and obviously a, a lot of Eastern, you know, philosophies um, that really resonated and connected to building a team. Um, and, and creating something that was, was so much bigger than, than just any one of the personalities, which obviously included Michael Jordan, who was the biggest personality. And then when you talk about, again, like his, um, his ability to, you know, integrate this very, you know, simple, but yet complex triangle offense um, and getting that buy-in, um, he, he, he was, he was, he was in an, 
he was much more than just a coach. You know, he was their friend, um, and he was able to uh, to get the most out of every player in every role, from MJ all the way down to the the last guy on the end of the bench. And um, obviously, he was able to do it not only with the Bulls, with the Lakers. I mean, he he's just a, he's a, he's an incredible teacher, um, and a and a really masterful influencer in that regard. And obviously would have been an, an amazing person to play for. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, so obviously Phil touches on the spiritual dimension, probably the intellectual dimension, the emotional dimension, probably all of them. Mm -hmm. um, you know, he encapsulates all six in a lot of different ways. Um, the, uh, the, you know, one thing that, that I, so I didn't, I didn't realize that he was an assistant coach on that team. I and I didn't realize how, how that transition went down from Doug yeah. Collins to, uh, to Phil. And I, I think Doug Collins was the, was Jordan, was he Jordan's first coach? Uh, I think it was Stan Auerbach was his first oh, okay. coach. Yeah. And they yeah. Doug Collins from like maybe 87 to 89. They made yeah. it to the Eastern conference finals, you know, and then that next they fired Doug Collins and hired Phil Jackson. So yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, Phil wasn't exactly set up for success, right? I mean, if you consider that, um, and Jordan had won, I mean, Jordan had the, the shoe deal by then. He was on billboards. And, I mean, the fact that he executed just just in that moment mm -hmm. to get that type of succession uh, handoff executed well, that's that's pretty impressive. Um, you know, the, the uh, we've talked about this already probably a couple times but just the way that he handled Rodman yeah uh was incredible so yeah. that the vacation thing where they have them watch videos of of each other talking that's I think that's my favorite part some of my favorite parts um but yeah I mean how long was Rodman gone he was supposed to be gone for for 48 hours he was, was gone for like, hour leave that extended into uh I, I think it was you know over four or five days <laughs> Michael had to go finally knock on his door when Carmen Electra was in his, his home. And um, yeah. And the, the Steve Kerr quote that stuck out to me, I think that was episode three uh, was, you know, they, 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 you know, Phil, Phil gave, gave Rodman a, a pretty long rope, you know? And I think that, you know, again, he, he possessed, you know, this, this trait where, you know, he, he knew, that each, each one of these players, um, you know, they needed to be treated differently. And they, and he, he allowed um, to find, you know, the, the, the kind of the hot buttons that, that a guy like Dennis Rotman needed. Um, and he gave him, you know, that, that, that mid-season vacation, which is absolutely unheard of. I mean, I, I, I think I remember the quote when, when he went to Jordan and said, you know, uh, Dennis wants a vacation and MJ's like, if anybody gets a vacation, it's me. Right, right. Like, <laughs> why, why is Dennis getting a vacation? And um, this was right when Pippen had, was coming back into, you know, full season strength. And sure enough, he lets him go to Vegas. I mean, <laughs> which, I mean, could you imagine in today's age, if one of the top NBA players, I mean, with social media and like, I mean, what that, what that would have created, the turmoil. Right. Sure enough, Dennis comes back after a four-day bender, you know, um, in Las Vegas drinking kamikazes with the <laughs> members of the Hells Angels or whatever. And he's like, <clears throat> you know, and, he, and, he, and then they do that, that, that training drill where yeah. they run the, the laps to get, you know, the, to get Rodman back in shape. And he, he's in better shape than all of them. It showed that, um, that, that Jackson knew, he, he, he just knew, like, what he needed – to, to provide each one of those individuals. And it wasn't a one size fits all. And I think that that again, goes back to whether, you know, managing a, a company or, you know, leading an organization or, you know, coaching a, a professional basketball championship caliber team to be able to understand each one of your players, each one of your employees, um, and to really get to know them. Um, that was one, one thing that, that I think, you know, even Rodman looked at, you know, he's like, I, I considered Phil a friend, you know? Yeah. And uh, they had that mutual respect for one another, which, which again, that, that, that inspires you to, to bring out the best. And um, he did so by, by giving him, you know, that allowing him to be himself.
Yeah, I mean, I, so I think there's another parallel here, similar to a, like an, something that I picked up with the Doug Collins transition. You know, Rodman was like an evil agent against the Bulls, right? I mean, he was, he was, when he was on the Pistons, he was like hated. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they could even bring him on in a way that was neutral, I think, is a win, let alone how, how the three, well, the three big stars, but the team in general just strive. I mean, that, that, that's mastery. Because um, I, I see that image over and over and over when in the 89 series when Pippen went up for the, for the uh, breakaway dunk and Robin just laid him out and then shoved him into the, into the stands. Yeah. And then a year, well, I don't, when did Rodman join? So Rodman joined because he had that. So that was the thing. That, I mean, Rodman's career, once he left, you know, the bad boys, he went to San Antonio. Oh, yeah. Fading in obscurity. You know, he didn't yeah. join until that, that 95, you know, 96 season, which, I mean, give Jerry Krause credit, kind of, you know, uh, uh, you know, uh, salvaged his career. I mean, he was, he was yeah. buried on this, you know, very yeah. disciplinary, Greg Popovich, San Antonio team. And he came out of that really as a whole new image, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it was because of, I think, the structure that Phil Jackson had put in place and knowing that he had these, you know, bookend leaders in, in, in Pippen and, and MJ that allowed him to, again, use Steve Kerr's quote, you know, the rope, you know, they gave him that long leash that he needed because yeah, he was, I mean, he was, he was hated. He was a, I mean, they, they were arch, arch enemies, you know, for, for many years there um, throughout the, the, the rivalries of the, the Detroit Chicago. And then for him to cross over on that line and to produce the way he did, I mean, it was just, it was pretty special. I mean, I'm trying to think of a think parallel of today. today. Just a- two athletes that are rivals or two teams that are rivals. Um, and then that, that rival, well, I mean, it does kind of happen in the NBA, kind of. I mean, you've got the, you know, the the forces that are joining, but I don't see any. I don't think rivals are as as um, uh, heavy-handed as they were back back then, right? Because players are protected a, a lot more. But but um, but yeah, nothing comes to mind. Well, I mean, so, what, what, one one like like a Ron Artest, you know, was like yeah, he's kind of nemesis, and then he came over to Lakers. But I think also, you know, you forget that, you know, this was, this was, you know, 25 years ago. I mean, today, I think professional athletes, um, they have so much, they're, you know, they're, they come up through the kind of, you know, rankings of high school and AAU and they're playing on the college levels together. I mean, they're much more of a camaraderie of a friendship in the off season through social media and whatnot. I mean, we're talking about, you know, 91, 92 like these guys i mean they literally I mean, to jordan's point he, he hates the detroit pistons still to yeah. this day you know i mean yeah. that that was uh that was so fierce um that yeah for him i mean it was it's yeah it was unprecedented certainly in the times to to come over and then to have that much success um and and it just again showed just kind of what a what a master mind phil jackson was um to be able to create that structure and to build that framework that gave Rodman um, the, the room to succeed and the blueprint to fit in with these, you know, I mean, massive egos in a locker room where, you know, he didn't, he didn't need to take the ball and shoot 20 times. All he needed to do was rebound and defend. Um, and that just possessed the, the, the intelligence of Phil Jackson once again, as, as the greatest to ever do it. Yeah. So there, Phil Jackson's, he probably has a couple books, but one book that I tripped over um, and, prepping for this is 11 rings the soul of success i don't have you ever read it i have never read it but so i don't have all 11 11 he has 11 points that tie to success and a couple of them i picked out were number one it's lead from the inside out mm. number two is bench the ego uh number um five is turn the mundane into the sacred and number seven is the key to success is compassion. Uh, and then I saw the, a great quote from him that said, wisdom is always an overmatch for strength. 
and so I didn't, you know, I did see, I, I, I recall there's a little bit about Phil Jackson's journey and how he was a really good player. Mm-hmm. But I, as we were talking about this, like, I don't have much context on how did he equip himself with these amazing skills. Yeah, I think a lot of that was attributed to one of the guys that's kind of, you know, often overlooked amidst this this whole legacy of, of the Chicago Bulls 90s is, is that assistant Tex Winters, who was yeah. the mastermind, you know, back in the 60s, who kind of came up with the whole triangle offense. And that was a big reason why Doug Collins, you know, and was fired after leading his team to the Eastern Conference Finals in 90 um, or 89 because – they, they really wanted to uh, adapt this, this triangle offense. And so, as I, as I remember it, Phil, you know, left his, I think, an 11-year playing career for the Knicks and then went down to Puerto Rico, started coaching, oh, yeah. uh, ended up going to, you know, the now defunct ABA where he was, uh, he won a championship with, like, a New York team. And that's when um, they brought him into the Bulls organization in the late 80s. And Tex Winters, you know, they were just kind of sitting side by side and he started kind of grooming him and rubbing off on him on, in this philosophy of the triangle offense and, and really how to get, you know, the, the team involved. Because here you had Jordan who was averaging like 30 plus points a game, you know, in, in, his, in his mid, late 20s. Um, but, but they weren't getting over that hump. And so kind of quietly, you know, it was just, right b- below everyone's eyes it, it was Phil was just, you know, learning this, the, the intricacies of this, this offense, um, which then, you know, led to him, but yeah, he, he kind of quietly just, just came up and he had no, you know, real, you know, big NBA, you know, head coaching experience prior to this. Um, yeah. And then all of a sudden here he is, you know, really what he was probably only two years into his, NBA coaching career, he, he wins an NBA championship. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I love that video that where he, he's got the team and it looks like they're doing some type of, um, I don't yoga or something like that. That's like one of his first, first moments, uh, as a coach. I think one other thing that Phil Jackson stuck out to me in, in watching this was his ability to, um, get his players to, to practice mindfulness, you mm-hmm. know, and really always staying in the moment and, and talking about how you're only, you're only as successful, you know, as the success that you're having, you know, every game, every play, every quarter. Um, and, and, and that, that, I mean, resonates because especially in it, you know, it, when you're having success and your, your ego's getting inflated, um, you know, you're always starting to look ahead you know, maybe come, becoming overconfident. And then I think there was something that, again, you're looking at the mastery of, of Phil Jackson. He was able to really embed is just like staying present, you know, and, and really you're only as good as, as your next play. And, um, and that, that obviously went and resonated pretty deeply with the locker room. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there was another line that I saw that it, I, this isn't the direct line, but it was some version of his philosophy or the recognition of his philosophy, he said that he realized that the more power that he exerted directly with the players um, had an inverse correlation. It was so if he tried to exert a lot of direct power over them, it actually was counterproductive, and he had less power in helping them organize and focus and come together as a team. And that was tied to that bench the ego concept. He wasn't necessarily talking about bench the ego for his team, he was talking about bench the ego for himself as a coach yep. and kind of recognizing that, recognizing his role as an organizer and an, um, you know, a spark for an inspiration and not necessarily like the, the dictator that's telling them run this play at this time and do, you know, do these exercises to, to prepare. Um, anything else on Phil? I mean, he's just, he's just a winner. I mean, he, he just, he, I think that's, you know, his ability to get guys to focus, you know, was, it's just, it's, it's really impressive. And I think that that is, uh, that's, that's what a lot of this, I think success that they had came down to was, was 
was keeping the focus and, and with so many distractions, you know, as, as this documentary progresses and I love how it's produced, they did an amazing job of, of telling this narrative that spans, you know, it, it kind of toggles back and forth between the end of the, the last dance in 97, 98, Jordan's beginning of his career and everything in between does a really good job of outlining that. But, you know, there's so many distractions that are going, you know, adjacent to, to this. Yeah. And that was Phil Jackson's, I think, you know, his greatest ability was to keep everybody focused. Yep. And that, that, um, that obviously went a long ways um, because there were, you can only imagine how many distractions, especially when you got guys like Dennis Rodman that are hanging out with Carmen Electra in Las Vegas. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. So we, I mean, we touched on Jordan's transformation uh, from, a, from a player to a leader. Uh, and we could talk about that a little bit more if you'd like, but I, I'm just, so, you know, we're covering six episodes. Yeah. Uh, what else, what else stuck out uh, to you over episodes one through six? Well, I mean, I, I think it was episodes five. Uh, um, this was the, the summer Olympics in, in Barcelona, obviously the, the dream team, which, which really, again, there's just so many like, uh, kind of side stories that that you look back and you realize, wow, the impact um, that that particular you know Summer Olympics team had on the whole game of basketball and the globalization of the NBA today. Um, but you you saw you saw the kind of the torch uh, being passed, you know, to Jordan as the the alpha of of, of the NBA. Um, you know, as as it was that kind of really. Um, you know, important practice, I think, in there in, in Monte Carlo leading up to the, the Barcelona games where, you know, Jordan, um, you know, kind of took things over in this, in this uh, you know, new era of the NBA and, and, and even, you know, Bird and, and Magic acknowledged that, that, that he, he was the man, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I thought that was, um, that was interesting because he, 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 he then had the respect of the entire league. Um, and then I think that, that carried over, obviously, into the 92-93 the season where, um, yeah, I mean, you know, I, he, he led from the front. I mean, he, he, was, he, was a, he was a transformational leader, and I think it goes back to kind of what I mentioned in the beginning. He, he demanded so much from himself. And, and I think that when the players saw that, um, they realized that they had to elevate their game, you know, to, to, to be able to go with him to the places that he wanted to go and that he knew and he believed that his teammates could go. It just took some, some tough love and some maybe unorthodox, you know, sort of lessons to, 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 to teach his teammates um, about how they could get there with him. Um, but, uh, yeah, it, he, he led by example, ultimately, which I think is, is, is the best way to do it because um, when, you know, when the, the, the student is ready, the teacher appears and it, it appears for each one of us, um, you know, but it has to come from within and, and Jordan was able to really instill that drive uh, amongst his teammates and um, yeah, he, he wasn't easy to play with, but obviously you look back on your career and you got guys like Bill Welling, Bill Wennington and, and Judd Butchler who have, you know, championship rings that would have never otherwise been remembered for anything, you know, and, yeah. and, um, and the, the lessons that they learned with him. And I think listening to Jordan and seeing him like humanized throughout this and, and now that he's what, 57 years old, um, you know, he, he, he's, he's been able to, he's softened, you know, and he's, in, he's able to like reflect back on that and acknowledge that some of his styles and characteristics maybe weren't always the nicest, um, but they were effective. Yeah. 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 There's not a, there's not an apologetic tone, right. At all. I was thinking about what his response was. I'm sure it's out there somewhere, but when the, when the Warriors beat that, that record, that 72 yeah. win record and just, what his mindset was, if you could peek into his, into his brain, what he was thinking, you know, like, I don't know, just the competitive nature inside of him, uh, probably wanted to lace him back up, but uh, just what his perspective was on that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, did you ever I come across that? Too. 
and I thought about Wall that I think it was a 2016, 2017 season in the Golden State. Um, you know, I think, I, I, yeah, I'm, I'm sure a lot of them would have he obviously wanted to, to get out there and, and, and stop that from happening. But I think also part of him, you know, he, in just listening to him throughout this documentary, I mean, all he, all he really cared about was, was winning championships and winning right. at all costs. So I think that maybe, you know, like a, a, an earlier, younger version of, of Michael Jordan would have certainly been caught up in the, you know, sort of hoopla surrounding this, this record um, and this kind of competition between the, the new NBA and the old. But really, I think he, he was just so set on winning at all costs that I think some, some of the trivial, you know, accolades or um, other sort of meaningless, minuscule, if you will, um, you know, achievements or, or other, you know, sort of um, victories, they didn't matter to him. And I think that that's what, um, that's what made him so unique was his, his, his singular focus on, on the prize and, it, and, and doing so at, at all, all costs. To, to, to get what it took. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, it's crazy. I don't, I don't think you see that in, in, in anyone else, you know, out there in sports uh, or, or in business um, who is just so, and, and it, it came at a cost, obviously, because it, you know, sometimes reflected in the way that he was perceived, some of the comments he made in, you know, something about, you know, Republicans buy shoes too. Like he didn't care about, any of that it was just about winning and so I don't know I'm, I'm not so sure that he would be as as caught up in you know some of those sort of side notes um as it was just getting the ring so I'm curious of just one through six any other thoughts that you have on on anything else I'm looking at the lineup here I think we covered a good good chunk of topics um is there anything else and I'm just curious how it how this has impacted your perspective um just in general maybe just like personally on well-being or and or um perspective on on uh the bulls it's really tough you, you you everyone wants to be like mike and you you hear you know all the stories about all the players that you know wanted him to you know, to sort of groom him um and 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 mentor him and mentor them to to be as as good as he was and once they kind of realized like what it took to really be like mike you, one by one you know they kind of slowly faded you know and became you know just above average nba players and i think it was kobe really that was the only one that kind of was able to to keep up with that stamina and that focus and that discipline and those sacrifices that it took and and there's, there's such a fine line that I, that I think, you know, you, you look at the greats and, and especially maybe Tom Brady is one. And I listened to his interview on the Howard Stern show a few weeks ago, you know, and, and these people that, that have so much success and are going to be remembered, you know, for forever based on their performances and accolades and championships in professional sports, they, they come at such a high cost, you know, and, you want to be like Mike, but you also, you know, a lot of us, we don't, we don't have that, that savage in us to be like Mike, like he yeah. was, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that um, it's, it, it, it's just tough because he was so focused on his craft and that was, it was just one dimension um, that it, he, he didn't really care either. You know, he, he didn't care that he wasn't well-liked, that he wasn't going to be remembered as the best teammate or the nicest guy or, you know, the, 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 the you know, public, you know, advocate. Um, all he wanted to do was just win. And I think that um, it, it obviously came at a cost. Um, but here we are, you know, talking about him still as, as the greatest to do it. And um, I don't know. I think that it, it's tough because – it was was Michael Jordan a, a well-rounded, you know, well-being individual? I, I mean, that's that's open for interpretation. Um, but he obviously good question. You know, he obviously had um, he had it in his mind that that he was. 
and and he did whatever it took to to carry on with with his goals um and his focus and his mission to to accomplish what he set out to do and i think that um i have a lot of respect for that now is it the way that you know everyone should lead or everyone should um should guide are they the principles that everyone should adapt in a in a company culture or you know a corporate setting i mean i don't know that's that's for each of of us to to take away but i do have more respect for him having watched this and learned of of all the sacrifices that he went through and then i mean even when you look at like his transformation take take going going into baseball yeah like, and the and the discipline that it took to even to not play baseball for like 14 years and then all of a sudden start playing double a baseball you right. know and having success and then coming back into the nba i mean it's just it's it's on it's it's unbelievable to think about and and you hear i've heard other stories I mean, the guy never slept i mean he literally i mean we all have 24 hours in a day but he seemed to make somehow get more out of it and did that come at the cost of maybe not being the best father or, you know, having a divorce from his first wife? Sure. But that, none of that mattered to Michael Jordan, you know? And I think that if that's what you strive to do and you have your goals and your vision um, and, and you, your values are set and, and you're able to block out the noise of what other people think of you and to, to set your mind um, to focus on, on, on what you want to accomplish, and you're finding inner peace and happiness along that journey, you know, I guess then that maybe that's all that matters. Yeah, when you, I think when you've got a very, to your point, when you've got a very clearly defined objective, then the, then the path starts, well, then the path is more clear. Uh, and if you're harnessing all of your uh, resources in a way to get to that goal, that I I think you can make a pretty strong case that that's that's well being, yeah. right? Now you raise some good points that he had uh, some personal challenges. We'll just call them personal challenges. Um, that would be contrarian to to the the definition of well being, a, a more you know standard definition of well being. Um, but I think a lot of it is just that that ability to take yourself out of the comfort zone. Uh, shed the ego, put yourself into the unknown and learn from it and continue to, to push forward. Um, I think there's, there's something there that translates into, into well-being. Maybe not holistic well-being, because I think relationships are a key component of, of holistic well-being. So if you're sacrificing relationships in the quest of, of um, you know, personal greatness, that's, I, I would say that's not well-being. But I think if you press a guy like Bushler um, on what he thought of Jordan 25 years ago and what he thinks about Jordan now, I'm, I'm guessing it's going to be a very different perspective. Um, so, yeah, I, that's that's an interesting question. Is Michael Jordan, uh, you know, a, a, a representative of, of well-being? I think in most dimensions he is. Mm -hmm. Um, but I think he is a little bit, I mean, I think Phil Jackson clearly is, Absolutely. uh, but, uh, and Dennis Rodman probably is on the, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, but maybe not. I mean, maybe not. Dennis is, is unique in, in and of itself. Um, okay. Well, any, any final thoughts here before we wrap up this first, uh, first episode of the mini series? I don't think so. I mean, I think, uh, <clears throat> This has been a lot of fun and just kind of reflecting on obviously was a was a pretty um, pretty pivotal point in my own life and then tying it into something that you know I, I'm, I think we both share a lot of passion about um, and really scaling and, and growing and, and raising awareness to these six dimensions of well-being um, Michael was I mean there's there's no one that will be ever like him and um, he's, he's one of a kind for a reason I think uh, when you look at it on a, on a macro level, did did he is he did he fulfill his his ikigai? I mean, it, you know, there's there's certain. I mean, I, I think he he did he landed his purpose in life and he 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 led a, a driven life um, in that regard. But um, 
there's a lot of things to, yeah, you can, you know, pull nuggets of what he did that, that are, that are good and focus more on, on doing that. And those maybe lessons that weren't so good that we can learn from and, and not repeat. Um, but I've definitely uh, enjoyed amidst this, you know, pandemic that we're all living through of, of watching this um, and reflecting on some, some really happy childhood memories there in the early nineties and a lot of baseball card trading shows that I went to, to, to collect all of his, um, his memorabilia and uh, super excited for these final few episodes. Thanks for sharing that, Andrew. I, I mean, I think just the, the, the last remark uh, is, you know, if you think about, if any of us think about our own personal journey and where we were really at our best, where we were excelling at, at the highest levels that we've ever excelled, uh, and then we hit this where in order to go higher or to go further, we had to transform ourselves. We had to we had to take that recipe and change it, um, and do that under the guidance of of um, kind of an unknown force or an unknown person, or you know, just putting uh, your trust in um, people and processes that are outside of yourself. That's pretty incredible, and I think there's a lot that we can all learn from that. And that's one of the key takeaways that I had throughout this entire. Experience. Uh, first six um, episodes was just that you know, this this guy was on top of the world and there was he could have continued to be on top of the world but he wanted more and he recognized that if I want more out of this then I gotta I gotta change um, and I think within that just that simple statement is an opportunity for all of us um, especially in light of you know, pandemic, life has changed, we'll just say, uh, that there's an opportunity there for all of us to kind of think, well, what does this next leg look like uh, for me? And what does a recipe for success need to look like uh, moving forward? So this is uh, the wrap for episode number one. Episode number two, we'll talk about um, episode number two of the Andrew Sam Be Like Mike mini-series. We'll talk about episode seven and eight. Got to figure out some different language there so it's not so confusing. Uh, we'll talk about episode seven and eight of the last dance. And then I'll also just make a note to mention, again, uh, Tuesday, May 26th, the day after Memorial Day at 2 p.m. Pacific, uh, 4 p.m. Central, uh, where Andrew and I are located. That's why I mentioned those two time zones. Uh, we'll have the Be Like Mike conversation, uh, live Zoom conversation, and I uh, hope to see you all there. Thanks, everybody. Thanks.